0: Good evening, everybody. I want to add my voice of welcome to you all, and I say that thank you, Andy, for giving me this opportunity again to be able to preach to our congregation. It is an honor and a privilege to be able to share this pulpit that is used so often by such amazing preachers, gifted and talented that our staff is an amazing staff, and we have amazing lay leaders who can preach as well who are former pastors and just gifted in preaching. So it's an honor to be able to share this pulpit with you all. Now, if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke 15, if you grab the Pew Bible, it's page 740. Mine is 1,123. I'm going to read together Luke 15, the the third of the lost parables that Jesus told. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and go through 3. And then skip up to verse 11. This is a familiar passage to us all, but what better passage to continue to meditate on. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 11, and he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, "'Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me.' And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs." And he rose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said... But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Must have been a Baptist. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. May God bless the reading of his word. I'm going to try something a little different. I'm going to try reading from my iPad tonight. I'm going a little tech savvy on you guys. Saving trees. So this passage is a familiar passage to really most of us in this room. I I look out and I I know who's here and these people who know our Bibles well, right? And we call this parable what? The parable of the prodigal son. And when we say that, we're meaning the younger son, right? But if if we just focus on the younger son, we, we miss some of the depth that's within this parable, it's probably more fitting to call this the parable of the prodigals, plural, and include all of the characters in this story as being prodigal. Now, before we get into what that means, first I, I want to talk about this parable is special because lot, lot, there's lots of good stories out there. My, my, uh, I, I married into an amazing family and I Don't have it before I got married. I didn't have a grandfather anymore. My grandfather's a passed away But I have a grandfather now And he is amazing and he loves to tell stories and I hear the same story Over and over again, but I love those stories Especially the ones about my amazing father-in-law and his broken leg whenever he was younger. Those are some amazing stories He was a aggressive football player um (laughs) that's another story that's that's some good stuff there but but stories that he tells there's stories with wit and wisdom that my grandfather has that speak truth and they're good things to live by here we have a parable not to demean my grandfather he's amazing but this is from God himself god himself is telling us a story about absolute truth about who god is who we are in relation to him and what it means and looks like to be a Christ follower. So as we look at this passage tonight, I want to do what um, I, one of my favorite theologians and scholars uh, says, N.T. Wright. He says, when we look at the Bible, we should look at it with first century eyes and ask 21st century questions. So we're going to look at this passage through first century eyes and then see what it means for us today. And so we're going to do three things tonight. And then we can go home because it's, I'm a music guy. We don't talk that long. So first, we're going to look at the context of this passage. And secondly, we're going to look at the characters in this story. And then lastly, we're going to ask and see who the characters are today. We're going to do a little translation for today. So first, the context. And, and I'm going to get into the more the historical context of the story itself when we get into the characters. But I first want to talk about the context when this happens. It's important to know... When Jesus is saying this, where he's saying it, who he's saying it to, and when he has said this. Now, and at this point in his life and ministry, uh, this particular story he tells it on the day of the Sabbath. When, if you turn back to uh, chapter fourteen, he's at a a feast, a party, a dinner party held by one of the the Pharisees, religious leaders, um, one of the head honchos, and he's invited Jesus and his head honcho, Pharisee friends, and they're having a dinner party together on the Sabbath. And Jesus heals a person, which you know they just love when he does that on the Sabbath. They just love it. And then he tells a few parables to them about uh, some future feast that will happen one day. But then he also talks about the cost of discipleship. At the end of uh, chapter 14, you see that he says in verse 33, "...so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." And that sets up verse 15. Because whenever he's doing this and teaching and telling his stories, Jesus just attracted people. So originally what was a group of the religious elite around Jesus as he's talking now is a great crowd of people, and that included sinners. And so the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, I mean, everybody, you name it, that weren't the religious elite, were gathering around because Jesus was talking. And they were captured by him. And so that sets up verse 1 in chapter 15. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. So get this picture in your mind. When Jesus tells the story of the prodigals, it's after he's had dinner with these religious leaders and these lawyers and scribes. Now a big group of sinners have come and hung around him, and now he's talking to all of them. And when he hears the grumbling of the religious elite, that's when he goes into the story. And so he tells these three stories of the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigals. He's talking to the sinners, but really he's talking to the religious elite in the back who are grumbling back there. And so Jesus is not taking a side, but he's he's just being Jesus. And he's speaking truth to everyone in the room. And so he's speaking a wonderful sermon to these people who know that they need God. That's why they're there. And he's telling them, God loves you through these stories. And it's amazing. That's That's the typical story that we get out of a prodigal son. And it's an amazing message. It is. I'm not going to diminish that. And so he's preaching that message to them. But really in the back and the way that he's undercutting things in these stories, he's talking to the people in the back who are grumbling. And the message here in these three passages, these three parables are for them. Um, is there anybody here a fan of Lord of the Rings? There's a couple hands. Wonderful, wonderful trilogy uh, of books. I, I, I'm a nerd, and so I read all three books before I saw the movies, and then I saw the movies, and then I read the books more. Um, Really wonderful, wonderful Christian allegory throughout um, that Tolkien writes. But there's a character in the second book slash second movie, Two Towers, which is the best of the movies and not the best of the books. Um, And there's a character, a giant tree named Treebeard. And the hobbits, they ask Treebeard, whose side are you on? And Treebeard answers, I am not altogether on anybody's side because nobody's altogether on my side. There are some things, of course, whose side I'm altogether not on. So like Treebeard, Jesus isn't taking sides because nobody in this crowd is altogether on his side. But there are some things that he's altogether not on the side of. And that is the behavior and the attitude of the religious elite. So, this is kind of the context setting up of what Jesus then says when he tells this parable. You have three groups. You have the sinners and you have the religious elite and then there's Jesus and his disciples that are not taking part in the sides between the two of them. But the message is for all of them. And So now, characters in the story. We have three main characters. We have the father... We have the older son, and we have the younger son. And all are prodigals. And what I mean by that is prodigal, we usually use it to mean as someone who wanders off in, in life and, and goes away for a while or lives a, a sinful life and then comes back. But a prodigal means, what the word prodigal means, is to spend recklessly, to spend till you have nothing left. And we all know that. I think everybody in here is married, so... Um, only a few people got that joke. That's why Gary tells the jokes. But it means to spend till you have nothing left, have the attitude of I'm willing to give away anything for what my heart is leading me to. And so at there's those three and different kinds of prodigals. And at any time, we are one of or were, uh, have been one of the three of those types of prodigals. And Jesus uses that because he knows who we were, he knows who we are, and he's telling us what it means to be a part of the kingdom by using these three characters. So how each character is a prodigal, I'm going to explain that. So the younger son, this is an easy one to explain and understand, the younger son is a prodigal. He wants his father's benefits but not his father by asking of the inheritance while his father's still alive, which at that time, if... If you were to, if the son was to ask that in that time, that's basically say, dad, I want you dead. I don't care for you. Um, I want no part of you. I want my money and I want it now because he would not be allowed to get that money unless the father was dead. So the son, by asking that is saying, dad, die. You're dead to me. And then he takes that money and he spends all of it till he has nothing left. And then his plan is, I'll become a hired worker, and then I'll work my life away and try to repay what I have lost. And so either way, it's a whole life of spending. He's never actually owning anything. Now, the father is a prodigal, and this is is the prodigal that we need to meditate on. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in us through sanctification, we could be like this. So the father is a prodigal. Because he spent just about everything he had for his two sons. So you even have given the younger son his request was extremely taboo. Like, like for him to give away the money while he was still alive was a huge cultural taboo. And it would cost him his standing within the community. Because in that time, it would mean a great deal to do that more than it would in our society. And he had every right in that day and time, if a son asked him for his inheritance, especially the younger son, for him just to have the the boy whipped and beaten to the inch of death and cast out and be completely disowned. But he gave him that money. That meant he gave up half of his land. He sold half of his land and gave the money to his younger son who hated him. Which baffles me because this father seems like a pretty great dad that it baffles me that the son was that sinful in his own heart to hate his father but then i remember my own sin and how i was before the grace of christ came into my life so the father selling half his land which means selling half of his identity because identity and land were tied together and that was his income he gave away half of it willingly to a son who hated him That's prodigal enough. But then, sorry, iPad went down. It's better now. So it wasn't prodigal enough for him to give away half of his inheritance. But then he does something that is even more prodigal in his behavior. What does the father do when the son owns up to his mess and comes home? He runs towards his son before the son even comes all the way. It says that the son was far off still, and then he ran. And that doesn't sound like a very prodigal thing to do, like a, a, a very uh, taboo thing to do is to run, but if in a patriarchal society, for the patriarch, for the, the lord of the house, who is the big head honcho, the father of the community, for him to... Pull up his robe and show his bare legs and run was a denigrating, disgraceful thing to do. It was so out of character and wrong for him to do by the society's standards in that time. And Jesus is saying this father, who we should be like, picks up his robes. And when he does that, he's casting away all societal expectations and moral obligations to the society and runs after his son. Because that's what matters, is reconciling his son to him. That matters more than what others think. Because see, in that day, only people that ran were children, warriors, and women. Patriarch never ran. And if that's not enough, he gives a robe, a ring, and shoes. And he says it's the best robe, and that means it's his. And... Remember, this son probably isn't in the best of shape and smells good and is clean, especially by Jewish standards. He would have to have gone through a major purity ritual to be able to be in the presence of food and other people. Um, and yet the father says, no, give my best robe, get my ring, get shoes, put them on him. He's just giving and giving, spending recklessly. And that that right there, side note, before we get to the rest of this, that is the gospel, folks. Like, the father doesn't wait for his son's ability to pay him back and attempt to make restitution on his own. The father meets his son in his deadness. And remember, he says that his son is dead but now alive. He meets his son in his deadness and runs out and makes the move towards him and makes the dead son his own and reconciling him by his own grace. Just what a beautiful picture of the gospel there. And now the father, being a prodigal, very much a prodigal, um, continues on and he wants to have a party. He wants to have a celebration. Now meat in that day was such a rare, rare delicacy. People hardly ever ate meat. Most people in that day would live a whole life without ever eating meat, which is sad for me because I love meat. Steak is my favorite dessert, Um, but to have the fattened calf meat that's absolutely a once-in-a-lifetime thing that few people ever got to have. When people would have that kind of party, it was the whole community. So when, when the father sees his son, he casts aside all of his societal obligations, and then he wants to have the whole community come together. And so now he's got to put on a party. And I didn't pay for our wedding, but I know it was cost a lot. Now imagine a party for the whole community, not just a number of people to come together. This father is spending. He's spending everything. And then, to further solidify that he cares nothing for societal norms and cultural, moral expectations, he leaves the party, once it started, to plead with the younger son. And that was an insulting thing to do. The lord of the house does not leave the party to go outside of it and try to beg someone to come in, especially his older son, who's supposed to be loyal who's supposed to be doing whatever he says. And so he steps off of his throne, so to speak, and begs and pleads with that older son, come into the party. He had every right at that point to also beat that son and cast him out. (laughs) But this father is giving away everything for his two sons. So the father spent his land, his income, his reputation, his finest clothing, and jewelry, his fattened calf—that he was probably saving up for something else—and um, wouldn't probably have another one of those for the rest of his life. But then, most importantly, he spent his whole currency of his reputation and co- cultural moral expectations. That is a father. Now, the third character in this—that's a prodigal—is the older son, and this son's reaction to the father's actions shows his true heart. The son is a prodigal in that he was willing to give up his relationship with his father and all that goes with it. All that was available to him by having relationship with the father, by showing his true heart of what kind of relationship he wanted with the father. What he wanted was one where he, the elder son, was the center and the only one worthy of the father's things. That attitude sound familiar? But in his pride and selfishness, he's willing to throw out his relationship with his father. But who would who would want that? This father is pretty awesome. But it's because the elder son, when the elder son saw his father's heart in action, it didn't fit what he in his mind had imagined the father to be. And so he's willing to cast it all away. So now we get to who are the characters in this story today? Who are the younger sons? This is an easy one to answer. Those who were dead, but made alive in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses, but God. The Younger son is those of us in Christ. We have all been the younger son, and in some sense we still are today. And that we ought to have the repentant heart that sings, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And so we give our lives and service to God and his kingdom. These are the younger sons. Now, who, who are the father in today's world when we look at this passage? How do we translate that to today? First, the father, when Jesus is telling a story, it's God. Because Jesus, God himself, he's using the story to give us an intimate picture into the heart of God. It is a God who is not bound to any person's created image of what God should be like. Is a God that cannot be contained or boxed in. Is a God that loves the world so much that he gave his only son for us that we might be reconciled to him. But the father in the story is also who we are called to be as Christians. Yes, this passage shows us who God is. Absolutely does. But Jesus is also using this to say this is who you're supposed to be like. If we're christians little christ as the word means and if we're made one with christ and co-heirs with him then we're called to be the father in this story jesus had just remember just said in chapter 14 right before he got to this of what it means to be a follower of him it sounds a lot like a prodigal so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple But what does it look like for us to be this prodigal father I say it's these three things. You must be willing to forsake all this world has to offer and hold dear and to give unselfishly to God and His kingdom and His mission for all people to come to know Him for His glory and to love others with the kind of love shown in this passage, the love that God has showed us. Thirdly, who are the elder sons today? They are those who self-righteously think they are in perfect standing with God. They're the ones who act as gatekeepers to their version of God's kingdom and who show partiality. And let me say that it is an absolute sin to show partiality, and there's no explanation needed. Elder sons are the ones who create God in their own image, a God who loves who and what they love and hates who and what they hate. Elder sons are the ones who claim to be of God, and maybe they are, But do not know or remember God's heart that he has shown even to them time and time again. And the elder sons are the ones who honor God with their lips, but do not give all their being to follow God and love others as he has loved us. So what now? What do we do with this? I love that Jesus doesn't resolve the story. It just ends with his explanation, the father's explanation to the older son of what the party is about and invites him in. But it doesn't say if the older son comes into the party. It doesn't say what the younger son does after that party. It doesn't say what the father continues to be like in the midst of a community that probably thinks he's just wacko at this point. (laughs) He leaves it unresolved because he's letting the listeners decide what they were going to do. He uses this story to plead and beg to the older sons in the back of the room while also sharing a message of hope to the group of sinners in front of him. And he uses this story to then speak to each and every one of us to let us decide what we're going to do, what kind of prodigal we're going to be, because we're going to either be one of three. And so tonight, if you're a younger son coming home to the father, the father's arms are open wide. So just come home. And Andy, a member of our staff, will be here to pray with you. If tonight the Holy Spirit is showing you that you're an elder son, lay down your pride, your tendency to create God in your own image and repent of your sin and come back into the party. And may we all exult in Christ, who gives us this parable and speaks to us by this parable. As he pierces our heart with his grace and love, and may we glorify him by being more like the prodigal father and run after those who need him, whatever it takes. And to God be the glory forever. Amen. Matt, th- Matt thank you. Wow. My hand is tired. Because I, I think I scripted the entire sermon. There wasn't anything I wanted to leave out. Thank you, brother. That was awesome. We appreciate it. The, the invitation exactly is exactly what Matt said. You're that younger son, that prodigal's wandered far away, come home tonight. Older son, lay down your pride. Our call is to be like the Father. Whatever God's saying to your heart as Brother Gary leads us, you come as we stand and sing together.